Right, well, it is good to see you, and um, I just wanted to say, uh, for those that are visiting this morning, you've kind of come at an unusual Sunday, because I'm going to be talking about our looking back over the year and just reviewing our, our, our giving for the year towards the end of what I uh, will share this morning for those that are members here. And so um, it's a kind of... when people are back from holiday. But uh, I'd like to speak to you just around the whole subject of being generous in our lives uh, this morning. And as you know, uh, we spent a while, a couple of weeks ago, celebrating being 10 years in this venue. Remember that? It's, it's only three weeks ago, do you remember? <laughs> so we had a great party and we celebrated God's goodness to us that um, uh, we've been in this building for 10 years and we look back and I put some stuff on, on uh, Facebook just telling a little bit of the story of what God has done with us as a church. And so we really are grateful. We're, we're grateful for God's provision and His faithfulness, faithfulness to us over the last 18 years. And uh, as I was thinking about that, you know, the first seven years, we planted the church out of our home and tried to establish a community of believers. And then we started raising money for our building. And then we moved from Watford. We moved the church from Watford to here. And that was a major thing. I, I didn't realize how big it would be. And the, the kind of se second period of seven years, if I'm thinking in seven-year periods, the, the seven second period, we started um, trying to transition across and establish ourselves in this community here in St. Albans. And that was a great challenge, but God was faithful during that time. And in the last sort of six years in particular, we've been trying to take great care uh, to establish this church in a gospel, solid gospel theology. What does the gospel look like? What does it mean for our lives? How can we understand grace for ourselves and for other people? And so we've seen all this amazing growth in our church community, and, and, and it's all been possible because of the generous giving of many people, some that are here at the moment, and many that have been part of this church over the last 18 years that are no longer even in the country. And we, we are able to enjoy this amazing facility, these resources, and we've been able to be effective and productive because of people's generosity. And so we've been able to do many things, host conferences, seminars, work with youth ministries into the community. We've been able to employ the people that we need to do um, what God has called us to do. And it's all been because of your generous giving over the last number of years. And if, I don't know if you remember, we've also been able to support things like the tsunami relief and uh, the, when the hurricane in, in the Philippines. Uh, we work regularly into Cambodia every year. We work into Romania. Andy from our church is a missionary in Romania. And we partner with local people like Step and Cap and Young Life. And that's all possible because of your generosity. And so... As we look forward to the future, I'm excited because there's still, if you look around you this morning, there are people away, but this, this auditorium can seat 450 people, all right? And uh, we have about 250 chairs out today, I think. But I'm looking forward to the day when this place is full of people that are not yet here, that do not yet know Jesus, but will come to know Jesus through the ministry of this church. I look forward to that. And so that continues to motivate me and encourage me, and we want everyone who comes through these doors to uh, enjoy a sense of belonging, to find a sense of belonging, uh, to enjoy hospitality and friendship, and to build friendships that will last their lifetime. And I really trust that if you're new in the church, you are going to find that kind of friendship in this community. And so we have come far, but God still has so much more in store for us. And we, to get there, we need all of us to continue 
to commit ourselves to being generous in every way. And so I wanted to just say as a baseline this morning, as I will feedback about the finances, that the history of this church has never been built on a few rich people or rich benefactors giving lots of money. It's never been built on that. The, the history of this church has always been built around faithful people who have little giving all they can. That's how we've built it. So we've never, we've never relied on, on benefactors or people with lots of money giving huge checks. It's always been regular giving from faithful people that love God and love this church. And that's how the church has been built. And I trust that's how we're going to continue to go forward. So as I talk about the future and stewarding our finances, I would just like to say two things as an introduction. And the first is Psalm 118 verse 1. I don't know if you know it, but it simply says this. Give thanks to the Lord. For he is good, and his love endures forever. All right? Uh, I love that verse, and I, that underpins all of what I want to say this morning, that God is good, he's faithful, and he's always been good and faithful, and his love endures forever. Amen? No? <laughs> uh, Martin Luther is one of my heroes. Uh, Martin Luther King is also one of my heroes, but Martin Luther the German is one of my heroes. And uh, I read his, um, his uh, commentary on this portion, and this is what he says about this verse. I love it. He says this, don't skim over these words. Don't skim over them. Oh, God is good. I know that. It's like, yeah, God is good. His love endures forever. So he says, don't skim over them. Don't say them too quickly. Don't say them irreverently. God is good, much better than any human. God, from the very bottom of his heart, is inclined to help people and to continually do what is good. He doesn't get, like to get angry or to punish people. He only does so when it's absolutely necessary, when he's forced into it by people's wickedness or stubbornness and their refusal to change. People could never be as patient as God is. I love that. People could never be as patient as God is. They would punish a hundred thousand times more quickly and more severely than God does. This is the underlying theology of Luther. God is good. God is kind. He's slow to anger. It's the last resort for God. It's not the first resort like for us so many times in our lives. And then he continues and he says, God proves, proves beyond a shadow of doubt that he is good and loving his daily and continual goodness shows us in rich and powerful ways. This psalm says his love endures forever. In other words, God continually does what is best for us. He provides for our bodies and our souls, and he protects us day and night. He continues to preserve our lives. He lets the sun and moon shine, and he allows the sky, the fire, the air, the water to serve us. The Lord causes the earth to give us everything we need. Grain, food, cattle, wood. That's his context, obviously. And resources for making wine and clothes. He gives us gold and silver, homes and families, spouses and children, animals, birds and fish. Who can count the Lord's blessings? Amen? Now you might think when you look at your life that it's tough. And it is tough. I'm not saying life is easy. But I want to say as a baseline, can we say all together this morning that God has been good to us. We really do have all we need. 
We have every blessing. We all, we all have a home. We all have clothes. We all have food. We all have friends. We all have provision. All that we need. God has been good to us. Amen? Can you say that? God has been good to me. I think one of the things of learning to live a Christian life, one of the basic underlying things is gratitude. God, I'm so grateful for all that you've done for me. Amen? Secondly, that leads me the second kind of foundation, God's goodness. Second foundation, God's grace. His goodness leads to His grace in our lives. I've just done an assignment, uh, an essay on comparing the story of Noah's flood to other ancient Babylonian stories. There are many flood stories in, that are thousands of years old, and the Babylonians too had flood stories. And I was looking at how these uh, influences come on the Bible story and how the Bible story speaks into those. But I love this verse in Noah, uh, about Noah in Genesis 6 verse 8. It says this, in the middle of the flood, it says of this of Noah, it says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I love that. Even in the midst of the flood, when it's pouring down with rain, 40 days, 40 nights, he's built the ark. It says in the midst of all the stuff that is happening, he finds grace. And if you read the story of Abraham, it's a story of grace. If you read the story of Isaac and Jacob, it's a story of grace. That God, his grace is found by people and it changes their lives forever. And so, A.W. Tozer says this. He says, grace is the goodness of God confronting all of our human demerit. Grace is what God is, unchanging, infinite, eternal. It throws light on his dealings with men and women throughout the Old Testament and history. It is certainly the truth and proper concept for us to hold to that no one was ever saved and no one is now saved and no one will ever be saved except by the grace of God. We can all say amen to that. So in other words, let me just unpack that a little bit more. Before the law was given to Moses, people were saved by grace, only by grace. During the time of Moses, no one was saved except by grace. After Moses, before the cross, after the cross, and during every dispensation of history and time, no one was ever saved by anything but the grace of God. That's what I hold to. That's what I believe with all of my heart. And if you're part of this church, you know that's what we preach. And so we can say that with absolute assurance, because God dealt in grace with every hu human being, as he looked forward to the incarnation of Christ, as he looked forward to the atoning death of Jesus on the cross, he's always operated with grace. If he didn't, he would have swept away the human race when Noah built the ark. And that's the good news. God is gracious all the time. Can you say that? God is gracious all the time. And when his grace becomes operative in our lives through our faith in Jesus, then there is new life. Then there's, the Bible says you are born again. Then there's a new heart that begins to pump that is his heart. Your old heart of stone has been taken out and it gives you a heart of flesh that is soft towards him and his people. All right, God is good. So I haven't even talked about finances yet. It's 15 minutes in, all right? God is good because he's good, he's kind and generous. Because of that, we know His grace. And then thirdly, I would just like to say, 
quote C.S. Lewis, who I've quoted before. And uh, I think as we think about finances, as we think about the future, there's one issue that I would just like to say is the key for me. It's called, it's generosity. <laughs> it's not about law. It's not about should I, shouldn't I. It's about generosity. It's about a generous heart in every area of our lives. That's what underpins giving. And I love C.S. Lewis. He's another hero. And he says this, there ought to be things that we would like to do, but we cannot do them because of our charitable expenditure. I would like to say our kingdom expenditure. In other words, he's saying there's an alignment that has happened in your heart when you, when you understand God's kingdom and all of that he's done for you, that you don't automatically just live like everybody else and, and kind of give your money into all sorts of things that are just earthly things because your heart has been consumed with the kingdom and you choose, you say, okay, I will do without that this year so I can give this money here for his kingdom. All of us have to kind of win that battle in our hearts. And so I want to say for every one of us as Christians, it is about learning to live more and more generously with all that he blesses us with in terms of our relationships, our time, our giving, how we value people. We live generously. Will I live just for me and, and my family? And as long as we're okay, that's cool with me. It's selfish living if it's only about us and our family. Or is it about us and our extended family, we can kind of enlarge our hearts? Or is it about we can enlarge our hearts a little bit further in the kingdom that it's about all God's people? And my heart is enlarged for all of God's people in a local community that he's knitted my heart with. Are you with me? And so that will be reflected in how we use our, fi our finances. It's very practical. And uh, I want to say that the real issue is where we use our money shows us what we really love the most. What you spend your money on shows you what you really love the most. And that's a bit harsh. Well, I'm just saying what Jesus said, all right? And if you want to have a look at the Gospels, go and have a look for yourself. Do a little search. You will see that Jesus spoke more about money than he did about heaven, than he did about hell, than he did about a lot of things. Why? Because he knew that the practical way how we live practically is reflected in how we spend our money. And so I want to give you two scriptures that just illustrate this little point about generosity. Luke 18, a ruler comes to him and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Great question. <laughs> yeah, you know, you, good, good God, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, why do you call me good? There's no one except God who is good, is good. You know the commandments. Don't commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Don't bear false witness. Honor your mother and your father. And the man says, oh, Jesus, all these things, I've done these faithfully from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you lack, sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. And when the man heard these things, he became very sad because he was extremely rich. And Jesus said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. You see, there's something in this man's heart that still was connected to money in a very primary way. And Jesus knew that. He said, the issue for you is not about doing good things. Everyone can see the good things for you. The issue is, what do you do with this very basic relationship that you have with money? Does it control you or do you control it? And Jesus knew that he had to deal with that. And the second scripture I'd like, um, I love this. When I, I remember my father preaching this many years ago when I was young, young. Luke 21. Jesus looked up 
and saw a rich man putting their, or saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow with small, two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they contributed out of their abundance, and she gave out of her poverty and put in all she had. See, this is the deal. It's very simple. Biblical giving under grace, it's not about how rich you are. It's about how generous you are with what you have. Biblical giving really is about unselfishness and learning to live in an unselfish way. And it really is about, the, it's really about a, a deep understanding of grace in your life. Um, and I've said to you this before, but uh, I want to say it again. But if you look at the Old Testament, even with great Old Testament figures like Abraham and Jacob, they all gave, uh, and you can read for yourself, they all gave the tenth, as they understood, the tenth before the law even came. Before Moses even gave the law, they were giving out of the generosity of their hearts because God moved on them and they gave what they had. No one had to tell them. <laughs> and that's what I, I find interesting. Is, uh, people always ask this thing about you know, tithing. Is it under the law? Do we have to still give that under the law like they did in the Old Testament? I say no, and I'll explain myself now. But real giving has always been motivated by grace. Abraham did it. Those that were moved by the Spirit of God in the Old Testament gave generously because the Spirit led them to do that. And so it's really about um, if I had 10 apples, I could put them here in a row. And this is how it works. God says, one apple is mine. He says, the other nine are yours. That's, like, that's a good deal, isn't it? One apple, God. Just one apple and I can have nine apples to do with what I want. Yes, that's how it works in the kingdom. God just wants one apple for the work of his kingdom. And we get to steward the other nine in our lives. So I want to just think about that a little bit this morning. And then I'm going to give you the numbers. So I'd like to just talk about this thing of, of the, the one apple under grace. And how we can learn to steward that with generosity and not come under legalism. And I want to say it's just as we learn to walk by the Holy Spirit that that comes. One of the great joys of the gospel is that it frees you from fear. You know, Anshin right now in Singapore is saying goodbye to her dad. And you can be fearful in doing that, can't you? Death is a thing that we all have to go through. One day I will die, just like you will. And there's something in our hearts that we have to confront when we say goodbye to somebody when they physically die. And the gospel liberates us from that fear. The, the, the gospel liberates us and says we don't have to grieve like other people do because we have hope. And what is our hope? Our eternal hope is that in Christ we will see those people again. I remember not even a couple of years ago, it was, was it a couple of years ago, when Donna passed away. And we had... We had the coffin right here, and Noel and the, and the family were here, and we were saying goodbye. And it was an incredible time for me personally because I, I loved her in a, in, as, as friend and as a pastor. But there was something that happened inside of me when I, in that moment, I just, I just realized deeply, yes, the truth of the gospel. We do not grieve 
We do not mourn as those who do not have hope. And so we can say goodbye to people, although it's incredibly painful, and we had to say goodbye to Alan last year as well. It's incredibly painful in our hearts, but we, can, we do not grieve with, like those who do not have hope. The gospel frees you from fear. And I want to say to you in terms of your money, the gospel can free you from fear about money. And the thing about money is that you're never going to have enough. Isn't that true, friends? That's what the world says over and over and over and over again. If you don't get the right job, you're not going to have enough. If you don't get this, you're not going to have enough. And so we live these lives of silent fear where we kind of trudge to work just to get the money that we need. So we, 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 we and God wants to say this morning you can be liberated from fear about money. Come on, it's good news. And so I want to say to you that for the, in, in the Scripture, generous giving... The tenth, the tithe, the one apple, however you want to say it, is not, it's not the threshold. It's not as good as it gets. Under grace, there, it's, it's, the, it's the foundation. And God says, I want you to learn to be incredibly generous in your life, that you're not even counting how much you give, that you give what is needed, and you give generosity, gener generously, and you give way beyond that. If you're able, you give way beyond that. It's not legalistic. It's a thing of the heart. We're called to something much higher. And really, the Old Testament tithe is gone, people. It is gone. In the Old Testament, it was about the temple. It was about the priests. It was about agriculture. And that legalistic sense of tithing is gone. Do we still give 10%? Yes, we do. I don't even know what to call it. Super tithing. More than tithing. I don't know what to call it. Because certainly in the New Testament, the, the, the gospel calls us out of the law, and it calls us higher and further and much more generously than the law ever did. And so I want to say in the, in, the, in the New Testament, there's a movement forward into the gospel and grace, and we leave behind legalism and the law. And I want to say it again. Abraham gave 10% to Melchizedek before the law was even given. Jacob resolved to give 10% of what he, he uh, came to him. Both were led by the Spirit of God without the law, just because in their hearts they had wanted to respond to God. And so, under grace, we go way beyond what the law would just say, and we do it generously, we do it with a joyful heart, we do it because we love God, we love His kingdom, and we love His people. Love is the basic motivation. And so, remember 2 Corinthians 8, and I'm going to land shortly. It says, um, Paul writing, and he says, you, I want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God. <laughs> Again, the grace of God. How's the grace of God manifest in this situation? The grace of God is manifest as people who have Give to those that don't. But the grace of God that has been given the churches in Macedonia, for in a severe test, they themselves were going through a hard time, their abundance of joy, even in their extreme poverty, they didn't have a lot, overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part, for they gave, each according to their means, and I can testify, some beyond their means, of their own accord, without getting cajoled into doing it, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord 
and then by the will of God to us. And we urged you. Titus, uh, um, according, uh, accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete amongst you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in earnestness, and in our love for you, see also that you excel in this act of grace. Generosity, giving, in terms of your friendships, your life, your money, every aspect of your life is an act of grace. It's motivated by your love for Jesus and His people. So sorry, visitors. This is our annual thing that we do, and you're getting it today, all right? So then, how should we, um, how should we steward the other nine apples? Okay, I've tried to liberate you this morning, to encourage you this morning. How do we steward the other nine apples? Well, I want to I say up front, first thing we need to do is by the Spirit, we need to ask God to help us deal with the fear about money that we might be living under. It's a major thing for all of us. And I love that um, story of Abraham. Remember the, 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 the battle story as he goes to war and he wins the battle and then he gives 10% to Melchizedek, who's the picture of Jesus, this, this, um, this priest king. And after that, he gets like this, he gets second thoughts. He's like, oh, should I have done that? And I mean, I've given this, uh, and, and I should have done, and that's the wonderful verse where God uses this word. He says, Abraham, I am, and the Hebrew is sakar, S-A-K-A-R, which means, if you want to translate it into modern language, it means, I am your salary. <laughs> Abraham's generous, responds generously. And then he gets a little bit nervous. God says, don't worry, my mates. You're my friend, Abraham. Don't worry. I am, I am your salary. I will provide for you. And he learns to live. And I want to say, speak that over all of you. God is your salary. If you love him, God is your salary. Not your employer. He is your salary. He is the one that gives. He will bless you magnificently as he chooses. As in his sovereign plan for your life. All you need to do is respond to him. He will bless you. And so, I want to encourage you with this. Luke 12. You shouldn't, you, I'm sure you know it well. Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. My friends, can I say that over you? <laughs> I'm saying it over myself. Do not be anxious about your life. Do not be anxious about what you will eat. About your body, what you've put on, for life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, consider the birds. They neither reap nor sow. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more value of you are you to him than the birds? And which of you, which of us, by being anxious, can add one single hour to his life? If then you are not able to do a small thing as this, why should you be so anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, except in our fields at the moment it's not alive, <laughs> it's very much dead, uh, with the rain, no lack of rain. And tomorrow it's thrown into the oven. How much more will he clothe you? 
O ye of little faith, do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink. Do not be worried, for the nations of the world seek after these things. What is Jesus saying? Don't be like everybody else that doesn't know me. People that don't know me, they worry about these things. They're anxious. They live and get driven by the world. You, my friends, you, my people, you, my sheep, don't be like everybody else in the nations of the world. I've called you to be different. I am your father. I am the one that, that, that uh, is your salary. I am the one that looks after you. Now trust me with your life. You get it? Instead, seek my kingdom. Man, this should just be like water poured over you when you're very thirsty. Jesus says, don't be anxious. Don't worry like the world. And then he says this. He has the great promise. Seek first my kingdom and all these things will be added to you. Man, we get the best of both worlds. You don't have to be anxious. And God says, if you just love me and love my kingdom, I'm going to take care of you. And you don't need all the things that you need. I'm giving them to you anyway because I'm a good father. And I love you. And you're my friends. Come on, guys. This is good news, man. No? Do not fear, little flock, for it's your father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. Store up, he says then finally, Treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief or moth can destroy, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So I want to say, let's ask God to help us overcome any fear that we might have towards the future, towards money, towards being unemployed, all of those things, so that we can be generous for His kingdom. Secondly, I would ask you to consider this. Ask yourself if money is your master or if money is your servant. Uh, Jesus says this in Luke 16, no servant can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money, the law and the kingdom of God. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard these things, and they ridiculed him. It's interesting. Religion always says, just do what you need to satisfy religion. The Pharisees did all that they needed just to satisfy the law. Jesus said, no, I'm calling you to be much more generous than that. And they hated him for it. So, how should we give? Well, I want to encourage you with five, six words from 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 16 and 2 Corinthians 9. They are helpful guidelines. They are not um, law, but they are helpful. How do you give in, under grace in the New Testament? You give freely, freely, and you give cheerfully. That's all Jesus says. Give freely, give cheerfully. First. Secondly, give regularly. Each week or each month or however. Thirdly, give proportionately in terms of your income. You're not required to give what you don't receive. What you receive in proportion to what you receive, you give. And locally, you give primarily out of commitment to a local church congregation, out of love for the people in the church and love for what God is doing through the, the church, freely, regularly, proportionally, locally, and by faith. Five things. Trusting. Every time you give, you're trusting and saying, God, I trust you for my future. I trust you for my provision. I trust you. That's how we give in the church. All right? Um, I just felt 
while Ant was speaking, that God stirs me just to um, encourage you. Um, most of you who know me know that I've been through a quite traumatic divorce in the last five years, and my former husband and I own two businesses together. Um, and during the split of that, um, when we refinanced it, had, I had to take a significant amount of his debt um, just to be able to free my business and my home. Um, and the other thing that happened during that time is that my business had a £30,000 overdraft, which, um, because I had to carry the extra debt, the, the bank decided um, it was too much of a liability, so they closed my overdraft. Um, so I was really in a, in, in a very desperate place. Um, and at that time, God, God gave me two scriptures. The one was the one that Anne shared today, that I shouldn't be um, fearful of what I eat and drink because God has provided that for me. And he's done that, that scripture he gave me a few times, first time when I came to England. And the second story he spoke to me about was the, <clears throat> the story of Elijah going to, in the time of drought, going to the widow. And she was basically starving and she was going to prepare her last meal um, and God sent Elijah to, to her and said she need to make him a cake and draw him water and he promised her that during this time of no rain there will be always enough to eat and there would be um, he, he would provide for them until that time and what I felt at that time is sometimes we are we are in a place of desperation because we are collateral damage. Um, that we find ourselves in a place where we're not necessarily as the cause of it, but we are, we are living the consequences. Um, and so when my overdraft was taken away, I was really angry. Um, I was crying out to God. There literally wasn't enough to pay, to pay my staff at the end of each month. Um, but it's been such a blessing. Um, God has, over the last two, three years, shown me that when we are not living within our means, it's like somebody's got us by the throat. And for me, literally, as I've paid each thing off, it's been like I've taken one finger out of my throat and I'm able to breathe again. And I just want to encourage us, we've got to live within our means because if we... Um, we are constantly in debt. If you are constantly in your overdraft, if you're constantly spending on your credit cards, you belong to somebody else. And it makes us fearful, um, and it makes that we can't be generous because we are constantly, everything that we work for is fruitless. We are constantly working to pay something off. So my encouragement is God is good. Um, for the last four months, I've been able to pay things off. I've actually now got cash in the bank rather than an overdraft. And God is good and God is faithful. Yes, you